If you have your Bibles with you this morning, I invite your attention, please, to the book of Romans, the New Testament book of Romans, chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. And today's message is another in our series of following the word if. We're looking through the scriptures at various verses that contain the word if. And uh, today we're looking at if you confess Jesus as Lord. If you confess Jesus as Lord. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with a heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. Madman kills nine injures seven after shooting at the community college in Roseburg, Oregon. That was the headline of a recent report about the tragic shooting of the innocent college students by a man named Chris Harper Mercer. Why did Mercer do that? Well, some are trying to say that he had mental illness. Uh, I tend to believe it's just pure evil because you're not killing somebody like that, you're murdering. That's what he murdered nine people, not just killed them. There's a difference. He murdered nine people, injured seven others. Mercer, I understand, would ask his victims before he shot them to stand up and state their religion. And if they said they were Christians, then he would say, good, because you are a Christian, you're going to see God in just about one second. And then he would shoot him. He would shoot him. When asked how he would have responded or what he would have said if approached by someone like Mercer who wanted to kill him, presidential candidate Dr. Ben Carson said, not only would I probably not cooperate with him, I would not just stand there and let him shoot me. He said, I would say, hey, guys, everybody attack him. He may shoot me, but he can't get all of us. I sometimes wonder how I would respond if I found myself in that kind of a situation. How would you respond? I think Carson's right. Regardless, I'm not talking about politics here now. I'm just thinking, you know, I would hope that if I found myself in such a situation that I would have enough courage to say, well, you may kill me, but I'm not just going to stand here and let you do it. I'm going to try to defend myself, try to overpower you if I can. And if there's others with me, if I can detract him from killing them and kill me, then the rest of them maybe could come around and, uh, and overpower him as well. But the question I ask you today is, if you found yourself in such a situation where it meant life or death, and someone would say to you, are you a Christian Meaning that if you were to say yes, then he would kill you. What would you say? How would you respond? Would you answer truthfully? Would you be willing to die for your faith? This morning I want to talk about what it really means to confess Jesus as Lord. Now, it includes verbal expression, but it involves much, much more than simply words that fall from our lips. 
If you look at your outline this morning that's printed for you in your bulletin, you can keep up with what I want to share with you. And the first thing that I want to begin with is that initial confession of faith that we make when we come under the convicting power of the Holy Spirit and we confess that Jesus Christ is our Savior and our Lord. Look at the words again in Romans chapter 10 and verses 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Believe in your heart, confess it with your mouth, you will be saved. Now, in this initial Confession of faith in Christ. There are several things that's described in the verse. First of all, it is a personal confession. Notice he says in verse 9, if you, if you confess. Now, the word confess means to agree with. To agree with someone as to what they have said or to agree with something that you have read. And that you are willing to admit it as such with your lips. You are in agreement with that statement, and this is a personal con confession on your part. You may recall in the scriptures where it says that our Lord was with his disciples in an area called Caesarea Philippi. And um, he asked them two questions. First of all, he asked, who do other people say that I am? And, of course, they begin to respond. Well, some say you're John the Baptist, come back from the dead. Some say you're one of the Old Testament prophets. Uh, so they gave several opinions of what other people have expressed. But then he asked the second question. Does it matter what other people say? Does it matter what other people may think? The question is, what do you think? What do you say? It is a personal conviction and a personal confession. I cannot confess for you. You cannot confess for me. It is an individual, personal confession that each of us individually must make. If you confess, he says. Not only is it a personal confession, but it is a verbal confession. That is, confess with your mouth. Confess with your mouth. If you were uh, on trial for a crime and it was proven beyond a shadow of a doubt uh, that you were guilty, you may at some point in, in, in the trial or at some point in time, you would say, yes, I committed this crime. It may be a child, for example, get out of the law room for a moment and just say maybe a child or as a child, you, you did something that uh, you, maybe you took something that didn't belong to you and you got caught. Did you admit it? Uh, did, did you confess it? Did you say, yes, I, I took that money. Yes, I took that article, whatever it was. So you, you are saying with your mouth a verbal confession of your, of your faith. Uh, chapter 10 of Romans in verse 8, it says, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which you are preaching, he says. Now, how, how do we communicate our thoughts? Well, we do so by, by words, by words that are spoken. So if I have a feeling in my heart, if I have a thought in my mind, how do I convey that to you? Well, I do it in the way that I'm doing now. I'm talking. 
I'm speaking words. I'm putting into words my thoughts and my ideas and how I feel. And so Paul is saying in this passage of Scripture, when you confess with your mouth, you're putting into words what you feel in your heart and what you think in your mind, and you are expressing that. That's how we do it, and that's why he would say that it is, in, it is near you now. In verse 8, he says, but what does it say? The word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. So how did God the Father communicate his love to us? Well, in the Gospel of John, he uses the word word, spelled with a capital W. Anytime you find that word in the Bible spelled with a capital W, it's a reference to Jesus. And the word there is logos. It means putting an idea and a thought into, into, into words. God sent Jesus into this world to proclaim and to reveal God the Father to us. Nobody has seen the Father at any time. The only begotten Son of the Father who is in the bosom of the Father has expressed himself, declared himself, revealed himself unto us. So Jesus Christ is the living word. The Bible is the written word, but it is putting into something that you can understand as to who Jesus is, why he came, why he died, and what you needed to do in order to be saved. So in John 1, 1 and verse 14, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we saw his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So it is a personal confession, confession if you... It's a verbal confession. You express it with your mouth. And uh, you remember the experience of Philip as recorded in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit led him to go out into the wilderness in the Gaza Strip. There was an individual there that he wanted Philip to uh, witness to. It was the Ethiopian eunuch. And uh, you remember, he, he, the Bible tells us in the book of Acts that he had been to Jerusalem. He had been converted to Judaism uh, he was on his way back to Egypt. We don't know his name. The Bible simply says that he was the treasurer of the Queen Candace. So he was a, a person of authority. He was important. Uh, he had been converted to Judaism. He was riding in his chariot. He was reading from the Old Testament book of Isaiah. And uh, the Holy Spirit led Philip over to him. And, and as they were uh, riding along and he was walking alongside him, overheard what he was reading, he, he asked the man, he said, Do you understand what you're reading? And he said, no, I, I can't understand. I don't have anybody to explain this to me. And so at his invitation, Philip gets up into the chariot and he begins to explain to him that the passage he's reading from, uh, from the prophecy of Isaiah, uh, the, the person he was reading about was Jesus. And the scripture says that he preached or explained to him and told him that it was Jesus. They came to a body of water. Don't know whether it's a pond or a lake or a stream or a river or whatever. Out in the desert, probably an oasis of some kind. I don't know. It just says a body of water. And uh, somewhere in, along the line, baptism must have gotten into the explanation because he said uh, to, to Philip, look, uh, here's water. Uh, can I get baptized? And Philip said what? If you believe with all your heart, you may. Then the Ethiopian eunuch, confessed with his mouth what he believed in his heart. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 
So when he expressed with his mouth what he believed in his heart, then Philip said, okay, you can be baptized. And so they got down into the water and he immersed him. He didn't dip him. He didn't spit on him. He didn't drop water on him. He dunked him. Immersion went under. And then they came up out of the water. But you see, he confessed with his mouth what he believed in his heart. And so this is a personal confession. It is a verbal confession, but it is also a genuine confession because he believed in his heart. And what I'm trying to say to you in these first three ideas that I'm expressing here is that to be a Christian and to confess Jesus involves more than simply verbal expression. Anybody can say that they are a Christian, but you look at their lives. Are they committed to Jesus? Do they believe in him enough that they're going to follow his teachings and to follow his example? To say in their heart, you see, I, I can read it. Say that I've got an author that I'm, I really enjoy reading. It's not a religious author necessarily, but it's just somebody that I read. And I read that book and I, I read the words that the author says. And the author is expressing what he believes, what his convictions are, uh, and all of these things. And as I read it, I begin to agree with it. Yeah, I, I like what that man says about that. And yes, I agree with that. And I get it down in my mind, and I get it down in my heart. And then eventually, I might say to somebody, have you ever read so-and-so about such-and-such -such a thing? I've read it, and man, it's really good. I, I believe what he has to say. And I, I, I've got it down in my heart. And that's what confession is. It's not just a verbal expression. I've told you many times, if the devil could appear on this stage in person and I were to ask him, who is Jesus? He would say, he's the son of God. Well, does that make him a believer? Does that make him a Christian? Does he follow Jesus? No. So he admitted that. And you know what Jesus said? He said, there will be many people who will say to me on the day of judgment, did we not call you Lord, Lord? And Jesus said, depart from me. I never knew you because all you did was to give me lip service. You called me Lord and you do well, he says. But to the rich young ruler, he looked into his heart, didn't just take him at his face value at what he said. Of the rich young ruler, he, he realized that Jesus looked into his heart that he put riches and wealth first before God. And that's why Jesus said to him, go take all of your riches, all of your material things, sell them, take the money and distribute it to the poor and then come and follow me. And it says that the rich young man walked away because he had great riches and he loved his riches more than he loved the Lord and Jesus. And yet he said, I, I've done all of the commandments. Uh, that's quite an accomplishment. Can you say that you've kept all of the commandments, that you've kept all of the 10 laws? No. How many times do you have to break a law for you to, or to break a, uh, the link in a chain and for the chain to be useless? One link, that's all. You don't have to break all the links, just one. How many laws of God do you have to break in order to become a sinner? All of them? No, just one. You break one law and you're a sinner. And so it, it takes more than just verbal expression and to say Jesus is Lord. There'll be people Maybe somebody in this audience today who will stand before the Lord on judgment day. I called you, Lord. Depart from me, Jesus said. I never knew you. So what do people say? It doesn't matter what people say. It's what you think. It's what you think. And so uh, it, we, we need to get it down in our hearts, in our hearts, 
What is in your heart is what you confess with your mouth. There was a parable that Jesus told. We refer to it as the, the parable of the sower or the parable of the soil. Uh, of the sower who went out and, and, and spread the seed. In those days, they didn't have machines and so forth to do it for you. So he just had a bag of seed. He took his hand and, and pulled out a handful of seed. and He'd scatter it as he walked along. That's how he sowed the seed. And uh, Jesus said some of it fell on the hard surface. Some of it fell among the, the, uh, the soil that was very shallow. Some of it fell among thorns. But some of it fell in good soil. And uh, they didn't understand the parable. And Jesus, they asked, would you explain this to us? So Jesus said, well, the seed, of course, is the word of the Lord. Uh, the bird that came and picked up the seed was the devil or his demons. And he said the, uh, the hard surface uh, of, of the soil is a reference to your heart. Your heart is hard. You hear the gospel, uh, but uh, your heart is hard toward the Lord and the seed cannot get in. And, and so the devil comes along and he snatches the word away before you have a chance to open up your heart and receive it. And, and then the shallow soil is that individual who, who makes a, a shallow pro, pro, profession, just like the seed, it goes just, a, just right under the surface, but uh, it, it doesn't take root. And so when the sun comes out and, and dries up the soil, it, it, it dies. Uh, the, the seed that was thrown among the thorns uh, it, he says it re represents the worries and the cares of life. And we let the problems that we can't understand and solve and the worries and problems of life just choke the life out of it. If God was really a God of love, why does he allow all of this to happen? And, and so we just, just choke it out. But then he says there's the fourth kind of the soil. And what kind is that? It's good and it's rich. And it's soft enough so that the, the seed can penetrate. It can get down into the soil. And when it gets down into the soil, then it can germinate. And when it germinates, then it produces. And he was saying this last kind of soil is that person who hears the word, he opens his heart up to it, he receives it, and he allows God's word to penetrate his being until it gets deep down into his heart so that it can germinate and produce the fruit of the Spirit. And so it's more than just a verbal expression. It is a heart experience. You, your, your faith and your mouth must coincide and, and be in sync with one another. So you are expressing with your lips what you believe in his heart. Now go back and look at it in verse 9. He says, if you confess with your mouth and do what? He didn't say believe with your mouth. He said believe in your heart that Jesus has been raised from the dead, then you'll be saved and you will express it. Now notice in verse 10, he reverses it. In verse 9, he said, confess with your mouth, believe in your heart. But in verse 10, he says, with the heart, a person believes. And with the mouth, confession is made. Belief in the heart results in righteousness. Confession with the mouth, you're expressing what's in your heart and you're saved. And it's a genuine confession that you make. Now notice a fourth thing. It's a public confession in that uh, Matthew 10, 32 says that everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. So here our Lord is saying, don't ever be ashamed to confess me before individuals 
of your faith in me and of your acceptance of me and your agreement with me that you are a sinner and that I'm your Savior and that you've accepted me as your Lord and Savior. And wherever you go, you publicly and you have the opportunity to admit that. That doesn't mean you have to stand up and say, okay, listen, everybody, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. It's just saying when you have an opportunity in conversation or if you have an opportunity such as to speak to a crowd, you can unashamedly, without hesitation or embarrassment, you simply, yes, I am a follower of the Lord Jesus. I have him in my heart. I believe in him and, I, and confess it with your mouth. But back it up with your life and of your commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. So uh, a person who confesses Jesus is going to demonstrate it by the way he behaves. And it will be an ongoing pattern. Now, there may be times when you, when you will mess up. We all do. Uh, look at Peter for a moment. Peter, Simon Peter, uh, a wonderful apostle of the Lord. Of the Lord. And yet, what did he do? He, could, he denied the Lord three times. He did it in public. These people would come up to him when he was standing by the fire in Pilate's courtyard. And they said, oh, you, you were with him. It's evident by your, your conversation, the accent of your speech. You, you were along with that man. No, I wasn't. No, I wasn't. Well, that was, you know, that was just a one-time occurrence. It wasn't the pattern of his lifestyle. And he went out and wept bitterly. He didn't lose his salvation. He just realized that he failed the Lord, that he messed up. He, he, he should have confessed it, but he didn't. He was embarrassed. He was, he was afraid for his life. It wasn't a gun pointed at him and say, if you're a Christian, I'm going to shoot you. But they would have arrested him and crucified him along with Jesus. He was facing death. And so he denied him. But then he went out and wept bitterly. And there's a difference. Notice a fifth thing, and that is, when you confess Jesus as your Lord, it is a result of the Holy Spirit inspiring your expression. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, 3, that no man can say that Jesus is Lord without the power of the Holy Spirit enabling you to do that. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't say it. It means you can't say it and mean it unless the Holy Spirit... You go back to Peter's confession when they were in Caesarea Philippi, and he said, but who do you say I am? And Peter said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. What was our Lord's response? He said, well, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you. In other words, he didn't say, well, there's somebody over said, hey, Peter, come over here and let me tell you who Jesus is. He didn't read it in a book. He said, my father who is in heaven has revealed that to you. Now, the father and the son and the Holy Spirit are all three the same. So if the father confessed it, he did it through the Holy Spirit. Why? Because you remember over in John chapter 17, I believe it is, that Jesus said, it is to your advantage that I go away. If I go away, I'll send the Holy Spirit to you. And when the Holy Spirit comes into this world, he will convict you and he will convince you as to who I am and that you are a sinner and that you need to be saved. You cannot be saved without the convicting power and presence of the Holy Spirit, convincing you and convicting you beyond a shadow of a doubt as to who Jesus Christ truly is. And he will reveal that to you, and as you are under that conviction, you believe in your heart and you confess it with your mouth. And it is the result of the Holy Spirit working in your life. The final thing about this confession is that it is a good confession. 
It's not only personal and verbal and genuine and public and of the Holy Spirit, but it is a good confession. Now, <clears throat> Jesus was not facing uh, Chris Mercer uh, when he uh, admitted that he was the Son of God. He was facing Pontius Pilate. And in 1 Timothy 6.13, it says of Christ Jesus, who testified the good confession before Pontius Pilate. Well, why did, why did I compare that to Chris Mercer? Well, Pilate had the power to release Jesus or have him crucified. And Jesus could have denied, I'm not God's son. It was just all a show. I was just putting on. But he didn't. He admitted the truth. And it cost him his life. Because Pilate, yielding to the pressure of the crowd, he said, uh, it's the custom now this time of the year to release one uh, prisoner among you. Who do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus? And they said, Barabbas. Well, then what do you want me to do with Jesus? Crucify him. That's what we want you to do with him. Crucify him. And so because he admitted and wouldn't back away from it that he was God's son in the flesh, Jesus was put to death on the cross. And Paul says, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that was a good confession. I don't know the hearts of those individuals who were killed by Mercer, but if they were sincere, I mean, for you to get, have to get up off the floor after he's told you to get down on the floor and, and you have to stand up and he looks at you and points a gun in your face and he says, are you a Christian? He said, yes. And when he died, I think the Lord said, that was a good confession. You see, folks, it's cost you something to be a Christian. It really does. Are you willing to do that? I mean, if you were to walk out of this room today, or what if somebody just walked, burst into this, this room with a gun and just started shooting everybody? God forbid that anything like that would ever happen. I hope it wouldn't. Would you be ready? Would it have been just lip service that you gave to the Lord all of your life? Or, or have you really deep down on the inside came to the conclusion and the conviction that Jesus Christ is God's son and the savior of the world and I've genuinely, sincerely, truly invited him into my life and these are not just words that fall from my lips, they are the words that express the belief that I have deep down inside my heart now notice quickly the second thing, that's all the first thing okay, the second thing is the ultimate confession of Jesus because over in Philippians chapter 2 and, and, and verses uh, 10 and 11, Philippians chapter 2, uh, Jesus or, or Paul is writing about uh, the end times and, and he's writing about the day of, of judgment, the day when um, Jesus will gather everybody in the world uh, at, at one time, believer and non-believer, Christian and non-Christian. Everybody in the world who has ever lived, died, lives now, will live, it doesn't matter. From the beginning of time until Jesus Christ returns, every single person will be gathered before the throne of God. And uh, it says, in, uh, first of all, that there will be a universal confession. Notice in verse 10, Philippians chapter 2, look at verse 10. 
so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on the earth and under the earth. Under the earth is talking about those who are dead. Okay, we bury them where? Under the ground. Now, this does not mean, listen to me now, this does not mean that everybody will ultimately be saved. What this means is that everybody, believer and non-believer alike, will admit that Jesus Christ is who he says he is and who he genuinely is. That means that Attila the Hun, the Ayatollah, Idi Amin, Hitler, Joseph Stalin, you, I, Satan, demons, everything in heaven, on the earth, and in the realm of the dead. Everybody will be raised and everybody will confess, yes, God, you are right. Jesus Christ is your son. And then those who were never accepting Christ as Lord, they will be departed from the Lord to spend eternity in hell. And those who have genuinely confessed Jesus in the past. It's, I'm not saying that you get before the throne of grace and you, then you commit it and then, okay, everything's okay. No. You wait until you stand before the judgment seat of Christ and it will be past the opportunity for you to be saved by admitting it. You're just going to admit it before you're sent to hell. You'll say all along, Lord, you were right. And I rejected it. I refused to believe it. And all right, he said, depart from me. I never knew. I think the saddest words that a person could ever hear would be for the Lord Jesus to look at him in the face and say, depart from me. I never knew you. Oh, did we not perform miracles in your name? Didn't we say this and that in your name? Doesn't matter. It was what's in your heart. Depart from me. But before you go, you're going to admit that I am who I am. So there will be a universal confession. It will be a humble confession because every knee will bow. You're not going to stand up in the Lord's presence. You're going to fall on your face. You're going to get down on your knees. And you're going to admit that's a verbal confession. Every tongue, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. The third idea is the willing confession of Jesus. Now, Jesus has a confession to make too. As recorded in Matthew chapter 10, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my Father. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father. So Christ will willingly, gladly admit, yes, he's my child. He's one of my sheep. He has followed me. He believes in me. He's accepted me as his personal Lord and Savior. He will admit that to the Father. He will confess that to the Father who will agree that Jesus indeed is their Savior. But there will also be those individuals that, that Jesus will deny those who deny the Lord, when they stand before the judgment seat, Jesus will say, I don't know him. Never knew him. I heard him say my name. When he got in a problem, he would call on me occasionally. But as far as Lord and Savior, no, I don't know him. Don't know him. And so Jesus will willingly, he'll not be forced to say that. Jesus knows what's in your heart. He knows what's in my heart. Now notice the fourth thing. And that is the goal of confessing Jesus. You say, well, that's easy. It's salvation. Well, that's only part of it. To be exempted from going to hell is okay. It's wonderful. I mean, that's a byproduct. But the first and ultimate goal of your confession and of your salvation has to do with glorifying the Father. 
glorifying the Father. In John 17, 1, the purpose of the cross was to glorify the Father. Jesus prayed, and John 17 is actually the Lord's Prayer. What we call the Lord's Prayer is actually the model prayer. The Lord's Prayer is recorded in John 17. This is the high priestly prayer that Jesus prayed to the Father. And among other things, in John 17, 1, it says the Father, that Jesus was talking to the Father, and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Now, what hour is he talking about? His hour of betrayal and of crucifixion. And so it was by his death on the cross that Jesus was glorifying the Father, all the praise and glory being given to the Father. And so the purpose of the cross was to glorify the Father. The purpose of our salvation is to glorify the Father. Look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 11. He says, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So it all has to do with glorifying the Father. You read the first chapter of the book of Ephesians. Three times in that first chapter, Paul says that your salvation was for the glory of the Father, for the glory of the Father, for the glory of the Father. Your exemption from hell is only a secondary blessing. The first and primary goal and blessing is that we honor and praise and worship and glorify God the Father. Now, I stated at the beginning of this message about the death of these nine individuals who were killed by Chris Mercer. Some of them, I don't know because I didn't read all of the report or hear all of the report. Uh, I'm assuming uh, that he asked this question of everyone he shot. I could be wrong there, but I know that there were some that he asked, are you a Christian? And uh, they, of course, responded by saying yes, that they were, and so, so he killed them. Well, they're, they're not the only ones who've ever died for their faith. There have been millions of Christians down through the centuries who have died because they were Christians. There are people in this world this very hour in communist-controlled countries, uh, in North Korea, uh, in China, in Iran, uh, places where the, the, the Muslims have control of society, and if you are not a Muslim, uh, you, you, and they discover that you are a Christian, they'll kill you. That didn't happen 200 years ago. That didn't happen 10,000 years ago. It happens today, folks. It's not just here in America. It's where the name of Christ is forbidden to be spoken and certainly to not be lived by, and they'll kill you if you are a Christian. Radical Muslim terrorist. Take those Coptic Christians, and the word Coptic simply means Egyptian. These individual men who confessed that Jesus was their Savior and made them kneel down on their knees and take a knife and cut their heads off. For what reason? Other than they were Christians. That's all. And they were willing to die for their faith. There was an individual who lived back in 69 to 155 A.D. after the death of our Lord. It was a man by the name of Polycarp, P-O-L-Y-C-A-R-P, Polycarp. He was the Greek bishop of Smyrna. And uh, Irenaeus, one of the church historians, reported that he was a contemporary of the apostles Paul and that he could have also been ordained 
as a priest by some of the apostles. He was arrested during a pagan festival. And it was demanded of him that he renounce Christ and his Christian faith. He refused to do so. He stood firm in his confession even when his life was on the line. He was martyred on February the 22nd, A.D. 156. As Polycarp was being driven to the arena, two of the city officials who happened to respect him because of his age and his reputation tried to persuade him to comply with the demand to honor Caesar. What harm would it be simply for you to say Caesar is Lord and then burn a pinch of incense on an altar? It would save your life. Polycarp refused. Later, when he got to the arena where he was to be burned at the stake, he explained, for 86 years, I have been Christ's slave, and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And so they set the wood fire, and uh, for some reason the flames uh, would not get close enough to his body to finish this, the, the, the crucifixion or the, the, the death, and so they stabbed him to death with a knife. He said, I've been a believer of Jesus for 86 years. He's done nothing but good for me. Why do I want to blaspheme him? God is good. All the time. God is good. All the time. Amen. Praise God. Polycarp had heard genuine Christian preaching. He believed the gospel as it had been faithfully proclaimed. He lived for Jesus for 86 years and eventually died because he refused to deny him. Let's bow together. I ask you a very pertinent question this morning. Have you confessed Jesus? And if so, is it just lip service? Or is it something that comes from the depths of your being, what's called the heart? Believe in your heart and then confess with your mouth. It's not confession, it's belief. You're just simply expressing it, what you believe in your heart. Father God, Holy Spirit, I pray for your will to be done now as we enter this time of invitation. And that if there is someone here today who's never genuinely deep down inside of their being, what is called the heart, that you are the Lord and Savior you claim to be, and that they, through the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, repent of their sins and turn to you, that we might give you the honor and the praise and the credit and the glory. May that be true of anyone who's here today. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Andre is going to lead us as we sing our hymn of invitation. And if you have a decision to make today to trust the Lord or confess him or join our church, whatever it may be, if God's Holy Spirit is speaking to your heart and moving you today to do so, please come as we stand and sing.